0: said we are wrapping up our commit series we're going to be in deuteronomy chapter 10 deuteronomy is in the old testament it's the fifth book of the old testament so you can start genesis and kind of work your way there Um, it is the last book of what is known as the pentateuch Uh, pentateuch means first five books it's also typically referred to as the law of the torah Um, and it is a bridge book to what comes into the historical sections of the old testament which begins with the book of joshua If you're familiar with Deuteronomy, and I know some of us who were at the adult Bible study a couple weeks ago as we did an overview of this, uh, you may be familiar that there's a lot of overlap in Deuteronomy when it comes to some of the earlier books that lead up to that, and there's a point to this. In the book of Deuteronomy, what we have is Moses, you know, Ten Commandments, Moses, Plague Moses, you know, crossing of the Red Sea, Moses. He is understanding that his time as leader for the Israelite people is coming to a close. God has told him he is not going into the promised land. And so, as he is preparing for Joshua to succeed him as leader, he is also preparing the people of God to remember where they came from, to remember that God brought them out of bondage, out of slavery, out of Egypt, to remember why. They've been walking around for 40 years because of their disobedience to the promise of God and remember where God is taking them into the promise to which He set up with Abraham back in the book of Genesis. In the midst of preparing them and reminding them, He's also giving them instructions, which we find in earlier books, because they're important that they live these things out as they live in the promise of God. And so, like I said, there's quite a bit of overlap. Our passage this morning begins in verse 12, and it begins with a rhetorical question that Moses poses to the people. I imagine Moses is anticipating the people of God to ask in future generations why and how they should do and keep any of the law of the Lord, and then what does that actually look like in their life as they continue to live in a relationship with God. And so we may be gathered here this morning, we are dealing with the same questions when it comes to the things of God. How do we do this? Why do we do this? What does this actually look like in our life? And so my prayer this week is that as we journey through this passage, we see what God is telling his people here in the Old Testament is also what he's telling us here today when it comes to our commitments. We've dealt with actions and disciplines within these commitments about praying and reading the Bible and giving and, and tithing and fasting and being in church and being involved in church and sharing our faith. But how and why and what is important? We understand that it's not just these actions we do, but there's an intention behind them. So let's read our passage, beginning in verse 12. We're going to read through verse 21, and again, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And the word of the Lord says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Verse 18, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him and by His name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God. Who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen? So let's begin with the how to commit. And we're going to be spending most of our time in verse 12 through 14, but we'll pick up on a few other ones as well. Verse 12 through 14, we're giving five actions which are interrelated to one another. And when we read through these five actions, it begins to fear the Lord, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. In verse 13, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. The opening, the leading to these actions is a rhetorical question. What does the Lord, your God, require of you? And Moses is not posing this question because he wants God's people to guess and praise the Lord that God does not want us to guess What he wants of us in our life. And so there's five fear, walk, serve, love, and keep. And if you look through the list, you notice that the third one is actually love. But if you put the list out on a piece of paper, you see that it is actually the center of these actions, it is the anchor to which these other actions flow. The command to love God here connects this to what is known as the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It's the same verse that Jesus uses in the New Testament when someone asks him, What is the greatest commandment? He quotes the Shemal. The reality is, we can do all things right. We can read our Bible and study our Bible, and we can give, and we can tithe, and we can fast, and we can go to church, and we can share the good news. But if we do all those things without love, we fail. Point blank. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, we can have faith that moves mountains, and we can do great and mighty things for the kingdom of God, but if we do it without love, we are only making noise. And so anything that God puts forward to us, if we don't have love as the anchor, as the center, then we fail. And our motivation to love God is found in the New Testament as well, and the Old Testament, because God first loved us. See, I can have a a fear of God, but if I don't have a love for God, then my fear will be misplaced. So in verse 12, when it says, To fear the Lord your God, that comes from a place of love. That word fear doesn't mean like a scary horror movie. It means to have the utmost respect for God and the things of God. It's to have a reverence towards Him and who He is. It's to be in awe of who God is and what God has done for us. The Bible lets us know we have an intimacy with God, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And if you read through the Bible and you see individuals who encountered God face to face, you notice that they fall down in fear and reverence. The typical word is face down as though dead before God and His holiness, even though it is God who initiated that interaction. They understood that they should not be in His presence. He is completely different than us. He is completely holy. We are sinful and continue to wrestle with sin. And so we come before God with fear and awe and reverence. It says, then, to walk in all his ways. The word walk in all his ways means to live in obedience to all of God's word. The psalmist captures what this lifestyle would look like in the opening of Psalms chapter 1. It says, Blessed is man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. To meditate is to contemplate, it's to think it over, it's to run it through your head time and time again. It says the individual who walks in this sort of way he is a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and out of season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that He does, He prospers. When we walk with God, when we walk with God's Word and allow God's Word to walk out of our lives, the Bible says it leads to a reaction of fruitfulness and life. The opposite is death and decay. So I'm walking with God for my own personal benefit. I'm walking with God out of a sense of love for God because he loved me he goes on to say serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that word serve means worship in the Hebrew when we serve God through the ministries and through the church we bring God worship and we worship worship isn't always tied to the act of musicians or music rather a committed devotion by the whole individual to serve God and allow His glory to come out of our service to Him. It says in verse 13, keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. That word keep means to observe God's Word, observe His commandments, but not just to like read it over or hear it. The word keep also means to guard it in my life. So I hear God's commandments upon my life and I'm to guard that, I'm to protect that in my life above all other things that I have. The understanding is when I guard and observe God's word in my life, I will see it for my good and for my benefit. So this is how we commit. It's directly tied to, again, the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. When God commanded his people to teach His Word, to talk about His Word, to recite His Word, to memorize His Word, to wear His Word, to post His Word, so that His Word would be ever-present in their life. All of these things will take our whole being. But in order to do the opening of what Moses is calling the people of God to do in verse 12 and 13, it also requires the action of verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer, no longer stubborn. The referring of circumcise your heart means to change it. To remove whatever may be in your heart that is keeping you from doing the things of God. It is to cut away that which is in your life that does not lead you closer to God, but actually pulls you away from God. That which is hindering you for making God your absolute pursuit in life. is hindering you from committing the things in your life that you know you need to commit. The opposite of not circumcising our heart is to be stubborn. It means to be stiff-necked and become spiritually abstinent. So in our heart is what the Lord is after. Yes, He's after our commitments. Yes, He's after us to have actions and fruit, but He's ultimately after your heart because from your heart, Our affections come. It's from our heart that desires flow out of It's from our heart that we reveal our priorities. The Bible says it's from our heart that we speak the things we speak and we think the things we think. So to have a stubborn heart is to have a hard and disobedient and unwilling heart to the things of God. There's no doubt here in verse 16 a play on words that Moses is led to use to speak to the people to remind them of their past when Pharaoh had a stubborn, hard heart Toward God, thinking that he could stand up to the things of God and withstand the things of God. There's no doubt a play on minds to remind this generation that they are in a covenantal relationship which began with Abraham and was solidified through the act of circumcision. Paul would point to this passage in the New Testament in Romans chapter 3. He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. So it begins with a heart and a love for God. But why commit these things? Look in verse 14 through 15. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is all that is in it. Yet, the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. And jumping down to verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods, and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, that word means stranger, giving him food and clothing. How takes all that we are, we need to understand the why, like a child sometimes. Why? Why? Why, Daddy? Why should I do that? why begins because the god we serve and the god we are loved by is a god beyond need he owns all things he is dependent uh, he is dependent on not dependent on anything he is sovereign which means he's, he's over all things he is holy he is majestic he is just and therefore when we come to god and we live for god what the bible reveals it has to be done on god's terms, not ours we don't get to define the terms of this relationship because God has already defined it. In verse 14, it says that we, why we do this is because God owns all things. He owns the heavens, the heavens of heavens and everything on earth. God owns people who even refuse to be owned by God. Verse 17, it says that God is unlike any other God. He is above all things. He is great. He is a warrior. That word mighty there in verse 17 means that God is a warrior who fights for his people. He is awesome. He will not be swayed by any man or anything or any government. He is unchangeable, untouchable, yet he is still relatable. He is out of sight and yet he is still present. And so the things that we don't, we need to understand is we don't, be, we don't deserve to belong to God. This relationship we have was not our initiative and it was not our idea. It was God who sought after us and fought for us for our eternal salvation. And God is all of these things. You notice in verse 15, it says that, Yet the Lord set his heart, that word heart means his delight, his affection on your fathers. He chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. Moses is reminding this generation of Israelites that it wasn't anything that they had done or could do which allowed them to be God's people. It was ultimately and completely God's doing and choosing. And the same thing goes for us as God's people under a new covenant. It wasn't our doing which deserved God's grace. There was nothing we did which God looked at and says, All right, you're worthy of my mercy. You're worthy of my forgiveness. But God chose to reveal these things. And it is because God chose to send his son, and because God chose to give us understanding, is why we commit our life to him. And I understand we're getting on some pretty turbulent waters for some people, and dealing with ideas like predestination or what some people call Calvinism. Predestination has nothing to do with us sharing the good news, absolutely nothing. And so when we twist predestination say, well, God already knows who's going to be saved, so I don't need to share it, I'm actually stepping out of the word of God and the commands of God. Predestination is this. It is stating that God, the God that we serve, and the God that we are loved by, knows all things. That's predestination. God knows who's going to choose Him, to love Him and be in a relationship with Him, and God knows who won't. He is He is timeless. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. And so when we say God chose, we're saying God knows who belongs to him. We don't. We don't have that knowledge. But we're told here that God chose us, but he also chooses not to lose anyone out. Verse 18 says he executes justice for the fatherless. That word fatherless means orphan and the widow. And he loves the sojourner or foreigner or stranger. These titles, there in verse 18, are given to the downcast and the overlooked of society. They're given to people who were not initially part of God's covenantal relationship. So here in the Old Testament, we see God pay special attention. And he knows his people that are outside the covenantal relationship with him. But the amazing thing about God, the God of love, is that God continues to reveal his love and continues to choose and continues to call people to himself. And with these verses, he doesn't have to. God doesn't have to. God doesn't need you and me to gather on Sunday morning for him to be God. He will always be God. And God doesn't need our worship for him to be God. He is worshiped in the heaven of heavens. God doesn't need us to go out and tell other people about the God who loves them. He will still be God no matter what. He will still fight. He will still show. He will still reveal. we also notice our understanding of God and what God has done for us is to move us to show the world in verse 19 because I understand who God is and what God has done for me. God commands me, verse 19, to love the sojourner, love the stranger. Therefore, for you were sojourners or strangers in the land of Egypt. So why do we commit to love God? Because he is awesome and he is for us and he wants to be glorified through us. Verse 21, it says, he is your praise. That word praise means he is your glory. See, we don't have glory of our own. But God gives us His glory, so that He might be glorified out of us. It says, "21 He is your God; He belongs to us, and we belong to Him." As the New Testament says, "We know Him, but more importantly, we are known by Him." He has done great and mighty things and terrifying. Verse 21. That means miraculous and awesome things that your eyes have seen. No doubt Moses is speaking what the Israelites had experienced over the past 40 years as God was shepherding them through the wilderness to get him to where, get them to where he wanted them to be. But we too have seen awesome and great things. We too have seen the miraculous of God in our life. So awesome, the sharing of the testimony. But we all have testimonies of God's miraculous work. We have witnessed his glory, and that is why he is our praise. You don't think you've seen God's work in your life and just ponder. Why did a holy God save a sinful individual like me? Why did a holy God save an individual who continues to wrestle with temptation and fall into sin and continues to give me grace? That is miraculous. That is awesome. That is terrifying that God would do that. finally the what verse 20 you shall fear the Lord your God you shall serve him and hold fast to him and by his name you shall swear verse 20 is a verse that is calling God's people to covenantal faithfulness under the covenantal terms which God has given the word covenant means promise So in this relationship I have with God, I am promising him my commitment to him because I know he has already revealed his commitment to me. And now I am in a promised relationship with God. It says, verse 20, to hold fast to him. The phrase means to hold tightly. It's, It's to cling to. It's to be united with him. It's to cleave. It's an image I have of when our kids were little and they would be scared or, or a little shy you all remember that time when your kids would just cling to your leg it didn't matter what you do you couldn't pry them off that's the image here of hold tightly hold fast to God cling so tight that he has to drag you places even if you don't want to go that he can't shake you off of him That phrase is used for the first time in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when God defines the marriage. It means that I am to become one with God. The only way I can become one with God is through Jesus Christ. But if I call myself a Christian, it means that I am a little Christ because I am becoming one with Christ and therefore one with God. And so people see me just clinging to Him. And these commitments that Noah gives to this generation, the commitments we walked through for the last seven weeks, aren't just one-time commitments. Well, I, I did the fast thing, so I'm good for 2020. I, I read my Bible this week, so I'm, I'm good for now. These are everyday things, repeated actions. We're to constantly be reading our Bible and studying our Bible. We're to be constantly giving and tithing. We're to be constantly praying and constantly fasting. We're to be constantly being with God's people in God's church and being a part of what God wants to do through his bride. We're to be constantly sharing our faith. But these take commitments because they make us uncomfortable. So we need reminders like the Israelites. So I want to give us three things, three more things on these commitments. First is commit to knowing God's love. Commit to being in God's word. Every day, be in God's word. Even if you've only got a couple minutes, read a couple verses. Read a chapter. But make the commitment, I'm going to be in God's word. I'm going to know God's love for me, a sinner like me. And I'm going to commit to being with God's people. I'm going to commit to being a part of God's plan for people to come to salvation. I'm going to gather with people who are going to encourage me in the faith, who are going to lift me up, who are going to discipline me and sometimes hold me accountable to the things of God. I'm going to seek opportunities to know God more. Because here's the thing, we live in an area, in a country, where we have so many opportunities to know God's love. We have conferences and concerts that come through here almost monthly. We can get a hold of books and literature. We can download podcasts. We can listen to great pastors of theological truth while we travel to work or while we work out. We are without excuse to committing to knowing God's love for us. But don't just know it, commit to growing in God's love. Never be satisfied with what you think you know about the Bible. The worst thing I've ever heard in a Bible study or after a message is, well, I've, I've heard that preached on before. And so we turn it off. We allow our minds to go somewhere else. I've heard this before. I've heard this story before. Has anybody here had the joy and the pleasure of reading the Bible and reading a passage of Scripture you've read numerous times before but then something new jumps out? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that terrifying? How did I miss that? God, when did, is, is this the same Bible? I mean, someone... Man, I've, I've read the Bible. I made a commitment 20 years ago to read the Bible at least once every year, and I've done that, sometimes two or three times a year. And every time, something new jumps out. And I'm thinking, when did that get there? never. Never. Allow your heart to become stubborn to the Word of God. Always, There's always something deeper. Study it. Get into it. Be amazed at what God is wanting to show us and what He's wanting to speak to us. We believe that this Bible is the breath of God written down. The Holy of Holies, the God of the heavens and the heavens of heavens and all things has his voice written down so we can hear him speaking directly to us. How awesome and terrifying that is. And yet we can get into his word and never exhaust it. You can never exhaust the things of God. You can never get to the depths of the treasure that is his word. We will never know God completely until we see Him face-to-face in eternity. So until that time, I'm wanting to grow in my love for God and understand God's love for me. Finally, commit to showing God's love. We can be in Bible study. We can be in small group. We can listen to sermon podcasts. We can watch Christian movies and listen to Christian music and go to Christian concerts and conferences and seminars and... We can do all things Christian. But if all we're doing is hoarding it, no better than a squirrel didn't rain for winter. Commit to showing God's love. Be an active participant in what God wants to do in this world. So as we read and study the Bible, as we pray and we fast and we give and we're at church and we're with God's people, talk about it. We will talk about the things we're excited about. So if we're not talking about God, what's that really say about our heart and our excitement towards God? Commit to showing God's love because that's why you and I are so here is that other people might come to know the love of the Father for them. And if we still need motivation, look at verse 15 again, and I want to read it in a little bit more personal way. The Lord, the Lord who is God of gods and Lord of lords, who is great, who is mighty, who is an awesome God, the Lord who is your praise, he is your God, and he has done great things for you. The Lord, that Lord, has set his heart, he has set his delight, he has set his affections in love on you. holy of holies has set his heart, his love, his affections on me. You wonder, Paul says, nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's why I'm called to commit my life to him and to trust in him. Because he loves me that much. Perhaps the fear of commitment is because... Or the fear of a stubborn heart that verse 16 reveals. Maybe this morning you need to come and kneel before the Father and just admit and repent because your heart has become hard to Him and His ways. Maybe you're here this morning and you first need to accept God's love for you. God, the only God, the one true God loves you. Praise the Lord he hasn't created you to attend church on Sundays, though that's good. He has created you for a relationship with him, to know him more. The issue we all have is that we have sin that separates us from the God who loves us and wants a relationship. He longs for a relationship. So what we do is we do what every other individual in God's word tries to do. Just be better. I'll be a better person. I'll do good things. But the Bible reveals because God is holy and I am not, I cannot do anything to remove my sin problem and make myself right with God again. And God knows that, and that's how much He loves us. He sent His only Son to die for our sins. And Jesus Christ did that. He died, and they placed him in a tomb, but He rose three days later. And the Bible says, when I understand that God loves me that much and what Jesus Christ did for me in my heart, and i confess it with my mouth i will be saved and i will be given eternal life not by anything i've done or deserved it simply because god loves me his affection his delight is on me maybe here this morning and you need to accept god's gift of salvation His love for you you need to get that handle before you make any other commitments i'm going to ask mike and charlie to come up and if that's you i'm going to invite you to come down and say Mike, Charlie, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my and Savior. They're going to pray with you and celebrate with you. Maybe you just need to come up and ask them to pray with you and over you. But I want to give us one commitment as a church family and I'm going to ask Jamie to come up and help me do this one. We've got a song we like to lead us in. It's a song called One Pure and Holy Passion. And what I'd like to do for us is for us to make it first our prayer and then I'd like to invite you all to join in singing with us and I'll give you the cue. But the word song says, Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. And the understanding is that this world that we tend to chase after is empty, it is pale, it is poor. It's all those things compared to knowing you, my Lord. So lead me on, and I'm going to run after you. And so I'd just like to lead us in the song as a prayer, and then I'd like to invite us all to join with us.
1: give me one pure and holy passion and give me one magnificent obsession give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard To know and follow hard after you To go as your disciple in your truth This world is empty, pale and poor Compared to knowing you, my Lord Lead me on and I will run after you lead me on and i will run
0: after you you mind standing and sing that together and if you need to come down mike and charlie down here waiting for you give me one One pure and
1: holy passion and give me one one magnificent obsession give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you to know and follow hard after you to go as your disciple in your truth This world is empty, pale, and poor Compared to knowing you, my Lord Lead me on and I will run after you Lead me on and I will run after you you.
0: To know and follow hard To know and follow
1: hard after you To go as your disciple in your truth This world is empty, pale, and poor Compared to knowing you, my Lord Lead me on and I will run after you Lead me on and I will run
0: after you you. Let's sing that chorus one more time Let's make it our prayer this morning to know and follow hard after you,
1: to go as your disciple in your truth. This world, this world is empty, pale, and poor compared to know knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on, and I will run after you. Lead me